This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. I don't know about you, but whenever I work on a jazz standard or learn a new jazz standard, I'm always looking for little nuggets of wisdom, little uh, tidbits that are going to help me in my jazz improv, not just with that song, but with all other jazz standards. Because each jazz standard really is a treasure trove of new explorations, new opportunities for different kinds of improvisation and to spark new creative ideas for ourselves. So in today's podcast episode, I'm going to look at a really awesome jazz standard called On the Sunny Side of the Street. And we're going to kind of look at three different jazz theory takeaways and some different ways to approach them in an improvisational standpoint. All right, you ready for this thing? Let's do it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Thank you, as always, for being here. Do appreciate you. Um, glad to be in your earbuds today. Um, and hey, we are going to be talking about a great jazz standard today on the sunny side of the street widely recorded. There's lots of amazing versions out there, whether they be vocal versions or, of course, um, the famous uh, Dizzy Gillespie uh, version from the Sunny Side Up album, which I absolutely love. Um, but this is a really awesome tune. There's great lessons. It's it's a fun tune to play over as well. So I'll just say that up front. But there are three uh, jazz theory topics I want to talk about that revolve around this jazz standard. And as we know, you know, jazz theory, it's not the end all be all, but it's one tool, one way to help us conceptualize what's happening in a jazz standard, um, which can be helpful for the improvisation process. So we're going to dive into those and get to know them a little bit better. Now, on the sunny side of the street uh, is a jazz standard study that we have inside of our LJS Inner Circle membership, uh, where there's, you know, we have a lot of different resources to learn the tune and practice the tune etudes um you know different exercises uh, and a community of others working on it together um so if you do want to dive in deeper after this lesson today you can of course become a member at uh, ljsinnercircle.com and uh, join us all over there in the membership it's a good time it's a lot of fun uh, we do a new jazz standard study every single month so this is just one of them that we've done okay that's all for that let's jump right into today's episode All right, so in case you're not familiar with On the Sunny Side of the Street, um, I would definitely suggest listening to it and checking it out for some context, obviously. Um, so one of my favorite recordings is the one with Dizzy Gillespie and I believe uh, Sonny Rollins, Sonny Stitt. I have to check the rest of the band, but it's off of the Sunny Side Up album. And I'm kind of preferential to their version of the melody versus like some of the vocal versions. Although I would definitely suggest learning both. But, you know, for just for some context here, it sounds like this. Mm-hmm. 
goes on to the uh you know the bridge part um anyways let's go over some of these theory lessons so theory lesson number one is the deceptive cadence there's a deceptive cadence so this deceptive cadence comes up in the bar three area so it starts with this key this song is in the key of concert c major so starts with c major so And then when we hit that note right there, we go to a B minor 7 to an E7. B minor 7 to an E7. Now, if you're not really hip to understanding what diatonic harmony is, maybe you'll get a little bit lost here. But just so you know, B minor 7 and E7 don't have really anything to do with C major 7. It's not in the diatonic series, right? We're talking about the diatonic series. We have... In the key of C major, concert C major, we have C major 7, we have D minor 7, we have E minor 7, we have F major 7, we have G dominant 7, we have A minor 7, B half diminished, right? And that's the diatonic series. So B minor 7, E7 don't fit into the diatonic key center of C major. They are non-diatonic. So... And by the way, what's that melody note? Because the melody is always important. That's an E, an E natural. Now the E natural, that's the 11th of the B minor 7. And it's, of course, the root of the E7, right? So the big question, though, is what is the B minor 7 and the E7 doing? Now one of the most important patterns that we need to be able to identify in jazz standards is a 2-5-1 pattern, or a 5-1 pattern. Now, when I see B minor 7 in E7, it makes me think that we're going to resolve. So here's the sound. Right, to an A major 7. So B minor 7 being the 2 chord, E7 being a 5 chord, and A major 7 being a 1 chord. So we start with this C major, the B minor 7, E7, but we don't resolve to an A major 7. That's not what happens. So what happens in the song form, actually, is it goes to the 4 chord of C major. So that's F. So essentially what we have is we start with the C major 7, right? That's our 1 chord, the parent key center. And we're trying to get to the 4 chord. So it really is going 1 to 4 we have what we call a deceptive cadence in between. In this case, it's B minor 7, E7. And this is what I would call an unresolved 2-5. It does not resolve to the 2-5. Instead, it resolves somewhere else. And that's why we call it deceptive, because it's not what you were expecting, right? Maybe if we were expecting to get to the 4 chord, we would go C major 7, and then G minor 7, C, C7 to an F major 7, right? A 2-5-1 to F to F major 7. So that would, right? That would make sense. And that happens later on in the bridge, the song form. But that's not what we do. It, 
interrupts the pattern to a deceptive cadence resolving to the F major 7. Okay, so we do see deceptive cadences come up time and time again. And what I'd encourage you to do is when you look at a new jazz standard and you see some chords that don't quite fit into the key center, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different things that could be happening there, but one of them could be a deceptive cadence. So ask yourself, is this a deceptive cadence? Um, are we going into a completely non-diatonic territory and resolving back to diatonic territory, okay? So just to summarize what I just said, we start out with C major 7. And then we go to B minor 7, to E7, to F major 7, right? So the big question there is, well, when you see something like that, that's so jarring to us. Like, how do we improvise over that? And so the question I would say is not, well, what scales do we play and all that stuff? It's more you know, what notes do we need to resolve to to get those chord changes to pop? So first of all, everybody knows I always like to talk about guide tones being a good way to start mapping out something. Well, chord tones really the first place, right? Right, and then... Right, so right away, just by going chord tones... We're already hearing the chord changes come out there. So that's the first place. But then, of course, we're talking about creating melodies and resolving to notes that bring out the chord changes. So guide tones, the thirds and sevenths. So the third of, 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 uh, of, a, of C major, seven, is E, right? The seventh is a B, okay? So those have, that, 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 those, there's, some, there's some common chord tones there, right? With the B minor seven. Right, the B minor seven, right? That's the that's the seventh of C, but it's the root of B minor. And the E, which is the third of C major seven, it's actually the eleventh, right? The, that's a common extension for a minor seventh chord, and it's also the melody note, right? Okay, now the E seven, right? So the third, you want to pay attention to that one, which is what that is is the uh, G sharp. And then the seventh, which is D. So all these notes I want to be thinking about. Now, then we resolve to an F major seven. And let's think about the third for a second. The third is an A, right? Interesting, right? Because A would be like, you know, the, the one chord that you would resolve to in that deceptive cadence, but we don't resolve to it. But A is the third of F major seven. Um, and then, of course, the, th the seventh of F is E. Interesting, right? Because E7 is the chord that comes before in the deceptive cadence. So essentially what I want to hip you to right now is that we have a bunch of different note choices that we just have to pick the right note choices to make these chords really pop and come out so that we can resolve them together melodically. So I'm just going to kind of start experimenting a little bit here. So first, you know, we, we kind of... We start with the first bar is C major seven. So um, <laughs> I think I played that earlier. Just a little common something to play, and then B minor seven. Now, what did I just resolved to right there? That was the third of E seven. So I actually started on the minor third of B minor. then let's think of something melodic. I like that a lot. 
actually what I did there is I actually took that E7 and made it a flat nine for a second. So, um, so the C major seven. major seven and I resolve to the third of the F major seven which is an A so I wouldn't really want to resolve to the E which is the seventh because we just played the E note really strongly in the E7 chord so hitting that A the third of the F major seven is really great so let me see if I can regurgitate what I just did So actually, let me just like sing it. So da da do do da da, bo ba do da do dia do da do. So yeah, that sounds good. See how I melodically connected those together. Although now on second thought, you know I'm hitting that flat nine of the E seven actually isn't the best just because of some chords coming up, which we'll talk about in music theory uh, concept number two. I want to talk about. So I don't want to hit the flat nine. So let's try to uh, try to change it a little bit. So. I like that better. So it's... Right? So the main takeaway that I want you to have here is that uh, what you want to do when you have a non-diatonic situation is just find common tones, find non-common tones, identify the important notes in each chord, and then start composing a bunch of different ideas and concepts to connect those together melodically, right? Because kind of what we don't want to do too is, yes, the chord tones are important, and I always preach about those, but we don't, we don't. Right? That sounds like a robot, right? So we want to use those chord tones and utilize them in a way that is melodic. So uh, that's what I would say with that is identify those different chord tones when we have a deceptive cadence or any non-diatonic situation. Okay, let's move on to the next one. And this one is um, diminished replacing the sixth chord. So for a little context here, we again start with the melody. Then that's the F major seven. Okay, so at this point, we have G7, A flat diminished 7, A minor 7. So it goes C major 7, B minor 7, E7, F major 7, G7, A flat diminished 7, A minor 7. Now, in a lot of real books and fake books, you won't see G7, A diminished 7, A minor 7. You'll see a 2-5-1 to A minor 7. So we'll go from the F major 7 to a B minor 7 flat 5, E7 to an A minor 7, right? An A minor 7. So that's actually not the actual correct changes. And and of course, you that's okay to play that, and it's fine. Um, sometimes in jam session changes, you'll play that. But if you really listen to any like recording of this tune, for the most part, you know, I want to say for the most part, you hear G7, A flat diminished 7, A minor 7. Much more gospely than a 2 5 one, 1 situation. So the big question, though, is that A flat diminished 7. That's what I really want to hone in on. 
And this is where diminished theory comes into play, where it's kind of helpful to know this a little bit. So what I would, what I want you to think about really quick is if I have A flat diminished and I took it up a minor third, so let's say it's uh, now a B diminished. If you were to look at all of those different notes in there and you just move the root to an E, it's an E7 flat nine. So it's that five to one to the A minor seven, right? Five to one. So that's why people in the fake books, they like to go two, five, one, because it's so diatonic and it makes so much sense, right, to resolve to the eight minor. The A minor being the two chord, but it's also what we call a secondary dominant, meaning we're tonicizing it. So it sounds like a one chord. So that five, that E7 flat nine is really the sixth chord in concert C major, but it's resolving, it's turned into a dominant seventh chord, first of all. In this case, we're flatting the nine, making it, you can alter it too, any way you want, and then resolving to an A minor seven. Okay, so that might be a lot to hear, especially if you're not as hip to music theory. I apologize if I'm losing everybody, or anybody really, but the main concept I want you to understand is that you can sub a diminished chord for a dominant seven flat nine chord. Okay, let me say that one more time. You can sub a diminished seventh chord with a dominant seven flat nine chord. Now, the easiest way to do that, the easiest way to think about this, in my opinion, if you want to know which ones can you substitute, is we have an E7 flat nine. Now, if you go down a fourth, okay, you have a B, a B note, right? A B root note. Okay, so does that make sense? So down a fourth, and then that is the new diminished chord. <laughs> so it's B diminished. Now, if you move any diminished seventh chord in minor thirds, it's really all just inversions of each other. Inversions meaning it's just the same note scrambled around. So in the case of Sunny Side of the Street, it makes sense when you have an F major 7 to a G7, then chromatic up to an A flat diminished 7, chromatic up to an A minor 7. See how beautiful the harmony is there? F, up a whole step to G7, half step, A flat diminished 7, A minor 7. So this A-flat diminished 7, right? Because if we took a B diminished and we brought it down a minor third, it's an A-flat diminished 7, right? Okay, so A-flat diminished 7, all that is really doing is replacing the E7-flat 9 chord. So you might be asking, well, so what does that mean improvisationally? Like, how does that change the way I improvise? And the answer is, it always does matter because... Whenever we imp we're improvising, we're not improvising over isolated chords. We're improvising over the chord that came before it and the chord that came comes after it as well, right? We have to make melodic resolutions. So what I'm thinking about when I start getting into this phrase, I'm thinking... Right? Or... the next chord the, the d7 got it getting ahead of myself but i'm thinking about these i'm thinking about these different diminished ideas that are coming into play so i'm not really thinking about a two chord and then a five chord i'm thinking about a g7 
to a A flat diminished seven. Right? So any possible way I can think of of how to connect those two together. Now that's pretty enlightening when you start thinking about it, right? Because again, like the same thing goes if I'm playing the arpeggios. Right, it's all the same. Oops. It's all the same things. I was pretty high on my guitar. It's all the same things. All the same notes, just played one after each other. So that can kind of open up some different creative outlets for you to think more diminished than more five to one, right? So it's a diminished leading into a one chord. So the important thing is that you can substitute a diminished chord for any uh, dominant seven flat nine. And you can turn any five to one relationship, you can turn that dominant seventh chord into any tension chord. But flat nine is a great one, right? Flat nine is a really great one. And then you can use diminished ideas for that. Again, just a pitch collection to think about. Now, it's not the end-all be-all for your, your melody, but it's, it's a pitch collection. Now, in the case of Sunny Side of the Street, the chord is actually a diminished seventh chord in the composition. It's not a five chord. So it's not, being, it's not actually being substituted, right? It's actually part of the composition. So you want to start thinking about your lines differently. Okay, now I'm getting ahead of myself. That next chord is our last music theory lesson. So the second one there, you can substitute any diminished chord for a dominant seven flat nine chord. And that's going to change the way you think about it improvisationally. So think diminished, not dominant seven to one. Okay, so the third and the last music theory concept with on the sunny side of the street I want to talk about is the dominant seven two chord. We also call this a secondary dominant. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with what a secondary dominant is, a secondary dominant is any dominant seventh chord, such as a D7, which substitute, uh, doesn't substitute, it, um, it tonicizes another diatonic chord in the diatonic series, okay? <laughs> okay, so... In this particular case, what's D7 a five chord of? G. Now, this is a weird secondary dominant, the dominant two chord, because um, the tonicization is that of another dominant seventh chord. So there's a lot of other better examples of a secondary dominant, such as that dominant six chord resolving to the two chord, right? That's a great example, but kind of a weird one is the two dominant chord. That's really, you know, the G7 chord, which is the five chord of C major seven. So it's a weird one, but you see this all the time in jazz standards. So what happens in, in On the Sunny Side of the Street is after we do the G7, A flat diminished seven, A minor seven, it goes to D7, and then it turns into a two chord, a D minor seven uh, chord. And, you know, oftentimes it's just D minor seven, G7, C major seven, two, five, one. Um, that's like the second ending of On the Sunny Side of the Street. So we go to a D7, a dominant seventh chord. So it's the two dominant seven instead of going to the D minor seven right away. But pretty much in almost every case you ever see a dominant two chord, it ends up turning into a minor two chord and then resolving somehow to the one chord. Okay. So this happens all the time. So this occurrence definitely happens more in on the sunny side of the street. So for example, in the bridge of sunny side of the street, it goes 
two five to F major seven, right? So that's the two five of four, the four chord F major of, of C, right? So the melody goes. seven right there still the d7 so it actually hangs out for quite a bit so it goes two bars of d7 before going to the d, the d minor seven the two chord to the g7 back to the top of the head again but what do we do when we land on this dominant seventh chord right so little improv trick for you. Obviously, there's Mixolydian. I don't know. So, something, right? Yeah, anything Mixolydian. I hate thinking about Mixolydian, though, because it, it just already immediately just kind of stifled my creativity. So kind of what I like to do when camped out on something like that is really focus on a chord tone a chord tone or a chord tone or extension. So in this case, I'm going to choose the sharp 11, right? Because I mean, the sharp 11, it, like, it's just a cool chord tone. Right, you can already see where I'm going with this. So after I've, I've done the F major 7, right, playing that lick again, and then... focus on is that sharp 11. So how many different ways can I approach the sharp 11? So you come from the F major 7. Right? That That's just one way to connect those two together. But, um... something like that. Anyways, I could just mess around and experiment for forever, but you know, just targeting one chord tone. Maybe you decide you'd like to make it about the ninth, right? That's an idea. Enclosures, man. It makes you sound like jazz so easily. No, so, so the many different ways you can approach just getting to the nine, right? But again, the important thing is what, what chord came before it. So we need that F major. Hmm, that's kind of cool. So and that was the ninth again. Then in on the fifth. But we start on the F major seven, right? Uh, what did I play? Then to the third. So 
there's so many different things I could do, but right, I'm thinking about the ninth, I'm trying to target the ninth, I'm trying to connect that F major seven to that D seven properly. And again, notice how many times I just gravitate to the thirds, right? What did I do with the F major seven? Um, chromatic approach to the third of the D seven. Kind of like that melody. So in summary, we have music theory number one, which uh, music theory concept number one, which is the deceptive cadence and using common tones and non-diatonic tones and the important chord tones of those chords to try to figure out nice resolutions to make them fit together like a puzzle. The second one is that you can replace diminished seventh chords with dominant seven flat nine chords. And when we do that, when we focus on the, the diminished side, that means we're focusing more on the diminished sound, okay? Versus just a 5-1 relationship. And the last one there is that dominant 7-2 chord or the um, the uh, the secondary dominant, gosh, spit out the words, Brent, secondary dominant of that G7, right? So when we do that, we can start focusing on just different color, t colorful extensions or, or chord tones to focus on to bring out different melodic ideas there. So hopefully you see how not only is this, this theory that we should know for other jazz standards, there's also music that we can make out of all of this too. And we can think more musically about it than just simply applying scales. Okay. So hope some of this helps. My call to action for you is to pick one of these concepts and try to work them a little bit and do a little bit of composing on your own, kind of like how I've done today. Start composing a bunch of different ideas based off of one of these concepts on whatever jazz standard you're learning and see how you do with it. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Don't take your uh, your listening for granted. I really don't. I, I do appreciate it. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. Um, and if anything, just like a little tidbit of something that you can take action on and get some value out of. And like I said, on the sunny side, on the sunny side of the street, um, it's one of the jazz standard studies we've done in our jazz standards club within the LGS Inner Circle membership. We do a new jazz standard every single month. That's just one of the things we do. We also have uh, all of my courses and practice programs in there, some basics 101 courses, um, and uh, live Q and A calls every month, and a really, really, really awesome community there. I mean, I think everybody in the in the Inner Circle will tell you it's a really great community. Um, so if you want to join that and get more out of of this particular tune and other things, go to lgsinnercircle.com. We'd love to have you join us as a member there. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, I do appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you've never subscribed before. And of course, if you are you know, looking for more content, well, there are tons of episodes that we have in our repertoire. So feel free to go back, listen to anything, You know, find an episode that just sounds like it resonates with you. Um, I'm here to help. I'm here to help you learn, um, even when I'm not coming out with a new episode. So feel free to do that. Of course, share this podcast with a friend if you think that it'll be helpful to them. All right. As always, I'll be coming out with another episode of the podcast next week. Look forward to seeing you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.
Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.